Um, today we're talking about the one who is greater than John. And so in the passage that Tony just read for us, what we see is John sort of making, I suppose he's double checking that he's on the right path. Um, and to make sure that what he was, he was purposed to do was actually happening. And so he sent his disciples, his own disciples, those ones that were still following him and around him, and um, to Jesus and to ask him, are you the one? And we see the interaction there. And, and there's a lot in that um, passage that I won't go into today about what Jesus was doing because he talked about the blind will see and the lame will walk and the deaf will hear and, and those kinds of things, which has a practical health thing but also has a, a larger sort of a spiritual metaphor that Jesus is using as well. But right at the end of this passage is that Jesus actually said that there's no one greater than John. There's no one greater than John. Um, and I don't, again, as you sort of drag that out, like it's not because he had more money than anyone else. It's not that because he lived longer than anyone else. Not because he had a great house. Remember, his wardrobe was camel hair, okay? And I know there's some really fancy sort of animal hair you can wear, but camel hair is not one of them. Um, and I can just imagine, like, um, he would have been chafing at times. He was out in the desert, like... Um, he got to eat really sort of great delicacies like um, locusts with honey, so it sort of has sweet with a crunch. Um, so it's like a crunchy, basically. Um, if you want to sort of, if you wanted to get it down, that's what you'd have to think. But he didn't live any kind of luxurious life. But Jesus was very clear: no one was greater than John. Yet at the same time, we've got this sort of dilemma that John came to promote the one who was greater than he was. And so what we need to understand first and foremost is that John was truly great, the greatness of John. Um, and we see this in his life. First of all, we see it in God's plans for him. Remember we spoke right at the beginning in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, God spoke about the coming of John. Now, I know that God had a plan for my life and still has a plan for my life, but I know he hasn't written it down anywhere and he hasn't sort of sent people a thousand years before I was born to tell people about, here comes Keith, everyone, look forward to this. So, so was that a cheer in like that they didn't tell people that or I don't know. But, but the thing is, I, that hasn't happened. That, and when I was brought that to my attention saying, you know what, Keith, we read a book and they talked all about you. God had an exciting plan for your life. That, that being said, I'm okay that God still has a plan for my life. He just didn't promote it the way he did for, the, for John. That being said, God wanted the people to know that this guy was coming because he had a, had, a, had a very special job to do. Then to top it all off, it gets really close, uh, probably nine to ten months before he was born, I go, I'm going to make this really clear. An angel is going to come and tell his dad. Now, again, anyone sort of parents that have told him, before you were conceived... An angel came and told me that you were coming. Anyone? No one, no one here. Okay. Um, but that's the thing. Again, so we got God basically told Isaiah to tell everyone else there's going to be this forerunner coming. Angel Gabriel come to Zechariah saying, your son is going to be that guy. So there's, there, is a, there is a great plan for someone to walk in right now. And then on top of all, he's born and as... Zechariah finally sort of is able to speak. He then speaks over his son with powerful words, words that says, speak of his destiny, words which are so powerful that the people looking on sort of said, who is this guy going to be? God must have some amazing things for him. 
there was this greatness with John. Now, the thing is, you jump ahead probably about um, three decades and John has probably gone through some training. They, they, they assume that he probably will spend some time with the Essenes, which were a religious group that lived outside of, I suppose, um, the urban areas of Israel. And he got some training and some challenge through them. And all of a sudden we see him pop up and he's in the wilderness proclaiming the way of God. He is proclaiming the way of God by calling people to repent of their sins. He's calling people to, to confess their sins, to turn their life around, to be baptised and to be forgiven. And the thing is, he actually has quite a bit of success. People actually travel to see him. They actually go out of their way. To, and I think a little bit of it was, who, I think initially it would have been, who's the crazy guy in camel skins in the wilderness? But as people came to hear, all of a sudden, people go, yeah, there's this crazy guy in the wilderness, but you should hear what he says. He's got some amazing things. And we, we've been challenged by that. And then we, and even the royalty of the time came and watched him. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But even Jesus acknowledged the greatness of John. I, I referenced this earlier, but Luke uh, verses 7, 24 to 28 says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way um, before you. And I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater. Um, of kingdom of God is greater than he. And I think Jesus actually said this one to basically to public acknowledge, at least with his disciples, that being faithful and obedient in the mission that God has given him. And because of that, he is, he is a great man. Maybe he says that because he knows what's coming for John. John will lose his life because he kept on speaking the truth. Maybe it's basically to encourage his disciples, saying, this guy has come to promote the way of the one who is coming. And wink, wink, that's me, guys. John has come, and now the one he was promoting has come too, because sometimes you guys don't get that. So here is a little bit of a further encouragement to you that John has done his job, which is to highlight me. But either way, Jesus said, yes, John was truly great. But the thing is, this is what John realised. John, John's purpose was to point to someone who was greater. John understood that was his life's purpose, was to promote someone who is greater than I, who the world needs more than me. Now, this is where I'm going to challenge you a bit today, because I think at times... We struggle, we, who here thinks Jesus is greater than they are? Okay, most hands on that one, which is good. Now, who actually listens to everything that Jesus says? Oh, okay, who does what Jesus says? Okay, but the thing is, the problem is because when we live by, when we disagree with God, and do what things our own way, this is what we are saying by default. 
Jesus, you've got your opinion and I've got my opinion. My opinion counts more, which means I am greater than you. That's what you are saying by your actions at times. When we are disobedient to God, we are saying he is greater. When we use excuses for not following Jesus, especially the things he's already definitely clearly asked us to do, we are saying your way, God, is not my way because I am enlarged and in charge in my life. Therefore, I am greater. And we're going to challenge that idea as we go along. But John's purpose was to point to someone who was greater and he was fully obedient to that call. John understood his place. He understood his purpose. His life wasn't about promoting himself to the world. It was about promoting the one who was to come to make the people ready, to call people to confession and repentance from their sin, to be baptised and to be forgiven. He was to shine a light on someone who was greater. And that goes against the grain in a way, that the, the way the world thinks at times because we live in a world where basically the idea is we need to elevate ourselves as much as we can. We, 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 we want to be able to succeed, don't we? And sometimes we, we want credit, we want recognition, we want the rewards that life is bringing our way. And John's mission went against that natural human condition and he was obedient in his calling. And we see John face a number of areas that, we, that, that he ultimately chooses to promote the great one in the areas that we may struggle. Firstly, John basically said that Jesus was greater than those that were in power. Have you ever been in a situation where you're being supervised by someone that is like a boss or a, someone that's more qualified by you? Like maybe you're, you're a nurse and you're doing something and your supervisor's coming in and making sure that you're doing everything right and you're going, okay, all of a sudden one of the things happen, you get a bit nervous. Or maybe you're going, I'm going to bring the A game. Maybe you're a teacher and the, the head person in all the district is walking into your classroom. Again, I think you, can, you go one of two ways, sometimes both. You get nervous and going, I'm going to mess this up. Or two, I'm going to do better than I normally do to show my class is so good. Like, I'm going to send those naughty kids out of the classroom for now so the teacher doesn't, that, that person doesn't see them. Maybe you, um, you sort of you get to a point where like, um, you've got to do something and, and someone's sort of watching over you or someone's grading you and you, it's sort of that idea that, that those people who are above you or in your life can promote a different response from us. But John's message didn't change dependent on those in the audience. Do you know that? He didn't actually change it. He kept it consistent because he knew what he was about. And so, and then the, what we find in, in Luke chapter 3, which is earlier than um, chapter 7 that was read earlier, but we see, and that's the chapter where Jesus is baptised. But Luke starts off this chapter in, in a special way. But uh, Luke 3, 1, it says, It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was the governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was a ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Itera and Trachonitis. And Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Okay, so that's Luke chapter 3.1. And so in it, Luke actually mentions Tiberius the emperor, top dog in all the known world. Pilate the governor, anyone heard of him before? Pilate was the governor and was basically the one who sort of 
put Jesus to death um, was, was what we remember him most for. Then we have Herod Antipas. Now just so you understand, you had Herod the Great, which was the king of Israel, or the puppet king of Israel, when the wise men came. So they came to the palace and they said, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? And Herod goes, who? I didn't know about that. And all the stuff happens in the Christmas story. Herod Antipas is one of Herod's sons. And so he's been given the section around Judea, the more important part of Israel. But he was still a puppet king. But he was king. Philip was actually also called Herod, Herod Philip. Um, he was a smaller puppet king and ruling over minor regions, usually to, to, the, um, I think it was to the east of the, the Jordan River. Um, and then you've got Lysanias, who ruled over a very small region to the north, and he's very rarely mentioned. Now Luke does this for one reason, um, and then I'm going to build on it. One reason is actually to place this story in the context of history. All of a sudden, people can find out where this happens in history or a rough guesstimation of it because he mentions all, this name, all these names. But then he also goes in in, in, in verse 2, Luke uh, 3, verse 2. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests at this time. A message from God came to John's son of, Ze son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Now, Annas and Caiaphas were basically... Annas was actually the former high priest, and he was like like religious royalty, basically. Um, Caiaphas was his son-in-law, but from that point in time also, what happened, four of Annas's sons also became the high priest over Israel. So there was, he was a significant guy. And so, again, Luke was placing these guys as ruling the religious sort of, I suppose, structure of the time. Now, all these names, they, they give a, a greater sense of when, what they fall in history. But, but also knowing John's mission, which was to promote the one who was greater, Luke is saying that all these rulers, from the top being Tiberius right down to Caiaphas, are not the great one. It wasn't John, John's job to promote any of them. People knew about them, but he, they were not the great one. They were not the one that was greater than John. In fact, when Herod Antipas shows up one time, John rebukes him for his sin. He's saying, you've actually stolen your brother's wife and you need to repent of that and ask for forgiveness. Now, it happens all the time today with all our, our media that people's sin gets pointed out quite clearly. Um, but back then, the kings kind of had the power to go, well, that's not allowed you're going to prison. And, and actually John ends up in prison for making um, that um, sort of condemnation. He did the same to the priests and the religious leaders that came his way because they needed the great one. And John's purpose and mission was not dictated or diluted or mellowed by the human powers that be. Now, let's think about us for a second. We are starting to see that in our world where we feel that we need to be quiet about Jesus. We feel that we can't bring topics up at certain places, that we can't sort of talk about the expectations that Jesus has. We can't talk about sin because people feel uncomfortable. In some places around the world, Jesus is illegal. Have you thought about that? Some places in the world, it is illegal to believe in Jesus, to talk about him, to tell people about him. And so in those countries, if we kind of follow along with this idea of mellowing thought about 
our religious faith, in those countries it means that Jesus wouldn't be known at all. But because those people, because people like John realise that, do you know what? The one that we serve is greater than all the rulers. In those countries, they are willing to break the law so that the great one is promoted. Now, this is where we've got to understand is that in our country, they're trying to control our thoughts. They're trying to control the discussion. And so we need to realise that the great one is bigger than that. And it may mean some cop-out for us. John went to prison. John was killed for his faith and his follow-through of what God had called him to. But if we go down this path, basically, if it becomes illegal for Jesus to be spoken about in this country, will we go, well, I guess I'll have to be quiet? Or do we courageously follow the mission that God has given us, no matter who is in charge? So John understood that Jesus was greater than the rulers. He also understood that his mission and Jesus was greater than the crowds. What do you put up with in your life, in your everyday week, that kind of, I suppose, goes against some of the things that you believe? What things do you change to maintain your popularity or your reputation, um, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace? What things are you willing to settle for so you don't sort of make waves. See, when John began to preach, the crowds quickly grew and they came out interested but were challenged by the call of repentance. The problem with popularity at times is that we fight not to lose it. Anyone any here sort of have the desire? Anyone sort of, um, on Friday night we asked this question, how many people have got friends on Facebook? And one of the kids smartly sort of said, oh, I don't have Facebook, I've got Instagram. I've got to get, get with the times. And like, but the thing was, this idea of popularity on Facebook is like, you, you've, especially when it first came out, is that you friended anyone and everyone. And you're like, oh, look at me, people I'm friends with. And, and I asked the question on Friday night, how many of you know all the people on your list? And the hands kind of dropped a little bit, going, oh, most of them, some of them, none of them. But we, we, we have this inbuilt thing to be significant in the lives of others. And sometimes that significance is, is the number of friends that we have, how popular we are, how well-liked we are. But are we willing to tone down what God has asked us to do to make it easier for us to fit in? To hang on, on the opinion that others have of us. And again, we see in John the focus of the mission being greater than, greater than the opinion of the crowds that surrounded him. In Luke 3, 7 and 9. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, Welcome everyone, thanks for coming. Really great to have you here. I'm, I'm, I'm thanking, thanking you for all the popularity. I'm getting, no, this, is, this is how he opened his speech to you brood of snakes. Um, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and have turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, we are descendants of Abraham. This means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And at that the crowd applauded. No, they probably didn't. They probably were very convicted and going, do you know what? 
they either would have hated on John or actually been convicted by the spirit that was still moving around that place. See, John spoke the truth. He told them not to rest in a false hope. He spoke of a real danger that they needed rescuing from. And that's the danger that we can get into if we value the opinion or the acceptance or the position in the crowds, whatever the crowds that is. It might be those you work with. It might be extended friends. It might be your friends at school going, I don't want to lose that for the sake of following God. And all of a sudden, in doing that, we are saying, my life is greater than Jesus. That's what we're saying. But see, not only was John, John understand that his mission was, was greater than that of the crowds, that Jesus was greater than the crowds that surrounded him, it was greater than his success. And we all like to grow in our achievement. Now, who, who likes to be successful in what they're doing? Okay, like, no one likes to be a failure. Okay, that's not a goal that we like. We, we don't set out to go make a brand new cake and going, it's burnt and it tastes horrible. Great job! Or I, I, I want to sit down and um, I, I do an exam. I want to see if I can get less than 10 right out of 100. It's not a goal of ours. We want to be successful. We want promotions. We want to see an increase in wealth. Who has a goal in their life right now to have less money now than they have in the next 10 years? Anyone got that goal? Some of you, like, like if you're like me, we're going, oh, don't have that much money to begin with. So um, I don't really want to have less. But the goal is to actually increase in our wealth, okay? We, we, we want to invest in things that will last. We, we want to be able to buy that home or buy that car. We don't want to sort of like um, buy an ice cream car that will melt the next day. Like we want to buy something that will last. We want to increase in our wealth. We want to meet and exceed our goals. We want to have goals in our life. We're going, I want to succeed in this area. I want to do well. I want to go past that. We want to see an increase in our success. But again, John, clear on his mission, what we see is a different response to success when it comes to being obedient to God. Okay, I want to add that qualifier. Because again, God is not against success. He's against success which actually contradicts us being obedient to him. Okay, there's, there's a difference there. But this is John in um, chapter 3, verses uh, John 23, 26 to 30. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So this is John's disciples speaking to him. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear, hear, hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, again, for me as a pastor, it is not a goal of mine to have a smaller church. It's not as, I don't want to grow small, I want to grow bigger. But there's a principle in here saying, do we want Jesus to be the biggest thing in our life? That's the principle. See, John has joy where others could see failure. He sees the ultimate success in being the completion of the mission, which is to promote the great one, to promote Jesus. And all of a sudden, the crowds are growing around Jesus. And John's disciples are saying, hey, we're missing out here. 
We started this. We should be bigger than him. And John's going, no, no, no. He's always going to be bigger than me. I'm going to get less and he's going to get more. And praise God for that. And maybe that's the attitude that we need to be mirroring. That we need to get to the point where we go, praise God when his glory is elevated above our own. When God see him, sees his action in our lives, but they, before they give us credit, oh, look at what God is doing in your life. Look at how God is providing for you. Look at how God is changing you. You used to be a really jerk and now you're less of a jerk and God is still working. Great, praise God. And we're kind of going, I wasn't that much of a jerk. I was a little bit of a jerk. And like, but no, we want to give glory to God. We want to see God exceed us to be elevated above us. The thing is, we see this continue even more. As John not only chooses obedience over success, he's willing to humble himself to promote Jesus. And basically John was saying, Jesus, the one who I came in front of, is greater than my own importance. John is racking up the crowds. He's calling people to repentance and they are responding. People are getting baptised and people are, are holding, holding John up. I know... If it was me in this situation, I would kind of go, oh, you know what? I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit important. I'm, I'm a little bit special. I'm, I'm, I'm valued by these people. I'm kind of something. I'm kind of a big deal. People should listen to me because of what I've got to say. But John, in his clarity, his clarity of mission sees it very differently. Luke 3, uh, verses 15 and 16. Everyone was expecting the Messiah, Messiah to come soon and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. Now, again, John might have paused and gone, you know what, thanks guys for thinking of me that way. I'm, I'm really glad that you can recognise my unique sort of gifts and abilities and, and the stuff I've been doing. Yeah, you know what I've been doing for you. Hey, high five everyone. John doesn't do any of that. John answered their questions by saying, I baptise you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, John doesn't say this guy is better. John is saying, I am insignificant, insignificant compared to him. The greatest man that was ever born of a woman is saying, I am insignificant compared to the one who is coming. I don't know if I could say that. Could you say that? Could you, could you say your life is insignificant compared to Jesus Christ and what he's done? I'm not saying your lives are insignificant. I'm saying the comparison makes our look, lives look so small to what Jesus is wanting to do in the world through each one of us. John understood that Jesus was greater than his own importance. It was greater than his own self-worth, his own identity. Because sort of, again, we can get wrapped up in the idea of promoting ourselves to make ourselves feel better. John goes, I don't want any of that. I want Jesus to be seen. I want Jesus to be heard. I want Jesus to be glorified because that's what my life is about. And so here we get to the, the crux of the matter. Because we've been talking about John, we're talking about us a little bit. But Jesus is greater than us. 
Jesus is greater than us. We all, we all said yes to that at the beginning. And then we sort of said, well, maybe I don't live that way. Because any time that we fail to do what God is wanting us to do in the sense of we willingly reject or willingly be disobedient. I'm not saying that, okay, we try our best and we, we, we feel like we let the team down. We, we're playing soccer and we aim for the goal. I kick towards the goal and it goes off my foot and goes that way. I'm not talking about mistakes that we made. I mean when Jesus makes it really clear the direction we go and we turn around and we go this way. I'm talking about that. When, we, when Jesus says, I want you to share your faith with that person and all of a sudden we get to the point we come up with a whole lot of reasons not to. What we are saying is that, you know what, Jesus, my comfort, my understanding, my ideas, my wants are more important than what you want. And when we do that, we are truly saying that Jesus is not greater than us. We go a long way away from where John was, where he says, I am insignificant compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ. If you at any point in time get into a debate with Jesus, and I have, okay, I have been there where I've discussed, sometimes I've discussed quite strongly, I prayed, God, I disagree with what you're doing right now. God, I don't understand you, and so therefore you must be wrong. At that point, I am saying to God, I'm saying to my Saviour, the one who has come to give his life and rose again from, from the grave, the one who was at creation and created the world, the one who was before all things, that you know what? I am greater than you. Now, this is how that can look. When we, when we are really struggling with this, when we get to the point and we actually say, you know what, in our life we've got to ask that question, is Jesus greater than those who rule around us? If we are in a workplace that demands this or that of us and we kind of go, I'm not really sure of that. I'm not sure I should be working this much. I'm not sure that I should be doing these things. But we go, you know what, it's my boss and I need to do what he says. But Jesus says you need to do something different. And we go, but I can't disagree with my boss. I can't disagree with those around me. I can't disagree with the culture that I'm living in. I'm going to, I'm going to submit to that rather than submit to what God wants for me. You are saying that you are greater than Jesus. For us, Jesus needs to be greater than our fears, especially when it comes to promoting him. Anyone here ever who is scared to share their faith? You might want to call it fear, but you, you, there is, maybe it's un, un, discomfort in sharing your faith. Anyone uncomfortable about some people, Everyone else must be out there sort of ripping, ripping each week. Okay? Who here is uncomfortable about going up to people and talking about Jesus? What about talking about people that you love? Like you love them, but you're still uncomfortable talking about Jesus. Okay, so follow this idea a bit. Sometimes we're afraid of different things. Sometimes we're afraid we're going to lose friends. We're going to lose our, our, our position in our group of, of people that we're in. Sometimes we're going, I don't know what to say. And all these excuses come into it where basically all of a sudden we're saying, you know what, my fear is prominent in my life. And so therefore, God, I prefer to be comfortable than to be obedient. Okay, let's, let's be honest with that. To be comfortable rather than be obedient. And when your comfort takes precedence over God's call for your life, you are saying what? We are greater than God. That's what we are saying. When our comfort, comfort, comfort takes precedence over what Jesus wants us to do, 
And, and again, like, hey, I like to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. Okay? I'm, I'm, all of us, it's sort of a natural position to go to. But again, just put it in perspective. There was no comfortable cushion on the cross. Those nails that went through Jesus' hands, they didn't have sort of like any special, it wasn't sticky tape to the cross. The cat of nine tails that ripped the skin off his back, again, it wasn't sort of some massage that Jesus had. Jesus actually faced, and discomfort is too weak a word, but that's what he faced so that we would be in relationship with God. And he calls us to take up our cross and follow after him. Don't let comfort be something that traps you from being obedient to God. Now all of us, again, and this sort of sums up all of this, but we come up with excuses for not doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we read the Bible and go, yeah, I'm not doing that, but this is why. And I will tell you, if you've read something in the Bible that says you need to go do this and you've got a reason not to, you're actually disagreeing with the word of God. Anyone here want to say, put up their head, yeah, I disagree with the word of God. Now we don't want to say that, but sometimes we do that, don't we? Anyone want to sort of do a weak nod on that one? We, we, we are actually actively disobedient to the word of God. And again, when we do that, we are saying, I am greater than God. I'm greater than the great one. Maybe it's our problems become the thing that actually stop us from being where God wants us to be. God, all these problems in my life, I can't do what you want me to do. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're too sick. Maybe there's too something in our life. We go, you know what? I can't do what you want me to do, God. Our comfort, our struggle becomes greater than the great one. Now, this one hits home. Because sometimes our plans, this is what I want to do with my life, disagrees with what God says he wants for our life. God, I want to marry this person. No, that's not person not good for you. Oh, God, I want to work this job. No, that's not a good, that's not the place I want for you. God, I want to be able to do this in my life. I want to have these things and so I want to work more so that I can have more things. And God says, no, I don't want that for you. I've got another plan for you. And when we go, you know what? My plan is most important, God. We are saying, God, I am greater than you. John didn't actually come to God. He actually had his plans laid out. At any point in time, he could have walked away from that. Again, camel hair is not comfortable. Locusts, I I imagine, are not delicious. I'm not going to try them. I'll never know the answer to that question. But John chose that life because God had called him. He was just obedient to it. And so when our plans, our desires take precedent over what God wants, we are saying, do you know what? God, my plans are more important than your plans. I know better what I should do with my life than you do. And finally, anything else that keeps us from being a forerunner for Jesus Anything that has becomes a blockage for us and we are passively or aggressively choosing that thing. When we won't get rid of something that is dragging us away from God's will from our life, sometimes we jump into something that is of detriment to how we walk in our faith. When we allow that to happen, we get to the point where we're saying, God, again, I'm in charge of my life. I'll put you in second or third place or maybe in the top ten 
and I'll, I'll occasionally consult you to see where our plans merge and I'll do what you want me to do. But ultimately, I have authority in my life. Imagine if John did that. Imagine if John went, oh, do you know what, Jesus, you know what, God, I know you've got this plan, I'm meant to be a forerunner for God, but you know what? I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to do it on every second Monday. I've got other things I want to do. Bring it back to us. Think about the people that actually brought us to faith. The people that actually shared God's message with us, who were willingly obedient to that. Imagine they sort of said, you know what, God? My life, my time, my plans, I'll give you the back seat, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to share with those people. I don't want to. I don't want to face discomfort. I don't want to lose the, the possible popularity I have with them and the fact that I, they, they like me hanging around. I don't want to mess that up. Imagine if they hadn't done that. It'd be a lot smaller here today. And now, imagine if you are not willing to place yourself in that position where you are a willing forerunner in your life. If you are not willing to participate in that, those people that you are perfectly positioned for, all of a sudden they miss out on your input in their life. They, all of a sudden they miss out on your words of truth, that your love and action, the light that you live through your life, they miss out on that. A call to actually come and know Jesus Christ. If we are not willing to be a forerunner in this world, people will miss out. And so, as we look and we are challenged by the life of John, if we are challenged by the life of John, what you need to own today is the idea that Jesus needs to be truly greater in all areas of my life. Jesus, I need to be insignificant compared to his glory. Now, I don't know where you might be struggling. You might be okay in some areas and really bad in others. But you, you know that. You know the answer to that. If you've been listening, God has been speaking to you and going, you know what? This is an area that, that I am number one and God is not. John understood he had to promote the one who was greater. To promote the one that is greater, he truly needs to be greater in our lives first before we can tell other people that way. And I, I pray today, like, take some time today, like, day after the service, and actually pray through those things. God, this is where I'm not making you number one. 